somewhere else. I mean, and sometimes I would visualize it would be a suitcase with my baggage in it of who I was or whatever, because, you know, I, I wanted to show up in the session, but I would do this little mental exercise. Sometimes it was, I'd put it on a bill, uh, put it on the bulletin board with a sticky pen, like my stuff, whatever you know, I'm doing, using bunny ears, my stuff would be on the board. I can come back to that, but that, that, that there were pieces of me or pieces of my stuff that just didn't need to be in so that I could be fully present. Welcome to the With Sayada podcast brought to you by the Centre for Belonging and Understanding. The podcast that brings to you stories of lived experience that you might not otherwise encounter. This is a podcast that encourages you to cultivate belonging and understand others. I'm your host, author and coach Sayida Zaidi, and every episode I'll be asking a new guest to share their story. Sherry Honeycutt describes herself as a question asker, butt kicker, spelt with one B, and she sees possibility at every turn. Sherry believes you can have the life, the team and the business that you really and truly want if and when you live on purpose. So today I am joined with Sherry Honeycutt and you know, I say that all of the people on my podcast are all around amazing, but I will tell you something about Sherry that I think really um, made me think of her is like beyond what I would say amazing is. And that was we were having a number of conversations in um, and in relation to a community that we're both in. And there have been times where I've just felt quite exhausted by some of the things that come up and um, navigating my way around. And and a couple of times, Sherry, you've reached out to me and said, do you just want to have a chat? And you know what's really powerful about that is that when someone says that to you, they're not bringing their content into the conversation. Mm -hmm. They're allowing you to have a space to download, to share, to um, express, to work through, to do whatever it is. And when you have people like that in your life, you know you're good. So Sherry, welcome. <laughs> thank you so much, Saida. That's such a beautiful, gosh, uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, that means so much to me. Um, can I speak to something that about about that, if I can, that, mm. that Saida, that, that, reciprocity I knew that I could reach out to you and honestly I you're right I was giving you space but I also knew and this is not why I did it of course is that it was going to be reciprocal and one of the things that I've as I get older the more times I'm around the sun I'm wanting to create relationships that are safe and reciprocal and so that is the energy you put out there so that's why, maybe that's why we're here now. We started, we we connected on that level, so. Yeah, but you know what's interesting is that, I, I mean, I've had to learn to kind of do this, so it's not my normal behavior, mm -hmm. um, and it's becoming more natural. But even as you do that, someone has to see it, right? Mm. So if someone doesn't see it, then you can keep putting it out there, and you still stay in that space. So Sherry, you saw it and you responded yeah. and there is something really quite um, powerful in that. And I do want mm. to acknowledge it, you know. Okay. I, I hear you. I hear you. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> and, I, I the, hear that. and the thing for the listeners is quite interesting because sometimes we will we'll only really focus on our own needs, right? Mm -hmm. And we're just kind of like saying, oh, I need someone to download to or I need someone to listen and et cetera, et cetera. But I would also encourage you to listen to the whispers that other people are giving and see, are you in a position then to actually offer? Because when mm. you do that, you know, it, and it's just a few words, right? But see the power of just saying yeah. you want to talk like. 
Yeah. Wow. This is, this is pinging me so much, Saidia, because I, I realized as I go back and I remember those moments of this is really about, for me, living with intention. And so I would show up to those meetings and this is how I try to live my life, which it doesn't come naturally to me to do this, but is to just live in the present Mm -hmm. and to listen and trust the pings that I get. And so I remember coming on those calls and trying not to sit in a place of swirling or comparing. Of course I did, you know, and doing all the things that we do when we're in, sometimes when we're in community. But when I was really, when we get really grounded and go, you know what, my out, my goal of being in any community is to connect authentically. And so, so, and that, and that takes a bit of intention, don't you think, to, to say, okay, I'm going to show up be fully present, and then trust whatever guidance I get. And that could be, a, hey, do you want to chat? Or, hey, do you want to be on my podcast? Or whatever, you know, <laughs> it's, but, uh, but I do, I do hear your point that, that it's, um, that was a byproduct of, I'll just confess, intention to connect. Mm-hmm. And to the listeners, that's, <clears throat> that's mighty important to mm-hmm. to show up with some intention about really any any kind of relationship or conversation or you know um yeah that's awesome yeah. <laughs> and if if I can build on that for a moment and then, mm-hmm. then we'll start talking about some other stuff okay <laughs> but, but <laughs> I didn't need I, to go all in the- <laughs> no you know the thing is this is really significant because this is about you know the essence of conversation that's why I think it's really good that we're unpacking these uh-huh. and, and maybe I just said what I said because people who are listening might be thinking what is all this detail about but you know it is really important about the content that you take into conversation. And there's there's a couple of things that I'd like, and maybe we'll just spend the whole of this just unpacking this <laughs> thing here. Mm-hmm. Um, because th- there's a couple of things. So, so number one, I remember actually last week, um, I was due to have a meeting with somebody. And as I was walking to the coffee shop with my husband, they messaged to say they'd missed their train and they were going to be half an hour late. So I said to him, well, rather than just going shopping right now, why don't you sit and we'll just sit in the coffee shop and have a drink and have a snack together? Mm. And and I mentioned, you know, that was the first time we have had a non-content conversation <laughs> in a while. <laughs> yeah. Right? Wow. And you know what I'm saying? Because I do. Non-content. Yes. Yep. And when, when you're having lots of... Um, uh, when you're busy, where there's a lot going on. I mean, even this thing with date night, like, you know, I mean, tell me who goes on date night and has kids and doesn't mention the kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Seriously. <laughs> so, so to be able to approach that space and just say, you know, we're just going to sit and have a chat about anything that comes up, I think is something I've now realized I need to have more of in my life. Mm-hmm. And then the other piece is for coaches. Mm. Right. So we, if I'm coaching in my head, I've got to be ready to be able to think this session is for the client, right? So how do you clear the noise that's inside your head, even in the middle of the session? And this comes back to the thing that you were saying before about the intention. Mm -hmm. So it's remembering that you're holding a space for somebody else, not for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'll tell you uh, how I've developed this practice for me. Years ago, I started um, I started really my profession in public health, and I was doing HIV counseling in the 80s, okay? And wow. I actually, I still do a lot of that. But in those years, I counseled thousands. I told probably 350 people over those few years that they had HIV, wow. and this was in the 80s. And so this was a really intense and, and of course, I had my own emotions around that. I had this sense of, you know, there was a lot of stirred up in me, uh, but it wasn't about me. And, and so I developed this, this practice and I, and I only later identified it, but where I would stand outside the door before I would go out in the waiting room and I would just sort of 
And I would literally just park myself somewhere else. I mean, and sometimes I would visualize it would be a suitcase with my baggage in it of who I was or whatever, because, you know, I, I wanted to show up in the session, but I would do this little mental exercise. Sometimes it was, I'd put it on a bill, uh, put it on the bulletin board with a sticky pin, like my stuff, whatever you know, I'm doing, using bunny ears, my stuff would be on the board. I can come back to that, but that, that that there were pieces of me or pieces of my stuff that just didn't need to be in so that I could be fully present. And, and of course I carry that into my coaching, obviously you, and, and it doesn't mean that we don't show up. I mean, I, you know, if, if, if you were coaching me, I want the full Saida, but I don't want, but you're, it's not the time for you to work out your stuff. You know, when I'm coaching, it's not the time for me to work out my stuff. But I will say it's a practice, right? Mm-hmm. It's um goes back to intention. Mm-hmm. And I use I use all these little funky tricks and ideas and imagery, you know. I used to say when I would go in and talk to some people who really pushed my buttons, I'm like, now you, that part of Sherry is gonna get her button. You sit on the couch, you're not going in. <laughs> you know, it sounds like a little um a little far-fetched, but, but it really has worked to, to help me show up fully present and uh, not a hundred percent because, you know, we're human, but mm-hmm. that's, um, and what you spoke about with your husband, oh my goodness, that so um, lines up with what's been happening in our house. Again, trying to have really intentional, I love how you said it, non-content conversation I love it not about who paid the bills and oh my gosh the air filters need to be changed <laughs> yeah exactly and what's for dinner and what's for you know. dinner yeah yeah that's beautiful mm. I just want to spend a moment to honor the work that you did in the 80s and and you know the work that you continue to do there mm-hmm. because I think it takes um a really special kind of person to be able mm-hmm. to do that and and if I look back to you know, when I was a, a little bit younger, I just, I don't know if I would have had the ability to, to do that work. So, so thank you for that. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I, it's been an honor to do that work. I still do that work with part of my consulting. I, I train counselors. And so I've been involved in, in that work my whole, my whole adult professional life. And it, um, it's a real honor. And I say that to the folks I train, I'm like, when you show up with somebody and even though you're giving them, quote, bad news or hard news, it is a sacred moment you share with another person, right? And uh, now the people who hire me don't hire me to talk about things that are sacred. They hire me to train them to do a, you know, a, have a conversation. But I I do. I bring that in. And it's like, you know, when he, humans come together and talk about really the hard stuff, mm. it's it's a powerful, powerful moment. Mm. So thank you for that. No, you're welcome. And and I, I would love to ask you, like, as as you're training counselors, there's so mm-hmm. many different lessons that you get. But if you mm-hmm. were to maybe give like your top, you know, two, three, four, five lessons, mm-hmm. what would they be? Well, I think um in, in no particular order, you know, I don't have my brain can't order them, but one of them would be to keep your stuff to really understand where's your stuff and where's their stuff. You know, and and so that, and that that idea of being fully present, and um, um, is it Susan Scott who wrote Fierce Conversations? Am I am I saying her yeah. name correctly? Yeah. Yes. And, and so I have a sticky right now on the side of my computer that I bring up in all my counseling training, is that um, show up to be nowhere else, show up to be nowhere else, and she talks about that in relationship to conversation. And, and I bring that up with, with the counselors um, that I train, you know, it doesn't matter how many more charts are in the door or how busy the day is or whatever. And you show up to be nowhere else because the person we're talking senses mm. if we're fully there or not. So that, that would be the first, the first thing. And then the other would be um, to really understand and accept some of our own limitations and even our biases and our prejudices, you know, folks come in in my training and they'll say, okay, our job is to be non-judgmental. And I always say, well, I hear, I hear the intention behind that, 
But I also know that we're humans and that, and that to judge, we're constantly judging, is this safe, is this unsafe? So I don't ever want to be non-judgmental, meaning I want to have the ability to, to assess and judge. What they really mean, of course, is to not, to see them, you know, to judge as bad what people are doing mm. and, and, and then even for the, to know themselves about, okay, I may have a certain bias here. I don't like that. I have it. I'm working on it, but to honor that you may not be fully, you know, fully on the other side of that judgment. And, and the reason I do that side is that if I, if I don't know where some of my stuff is, then I'm, it might show up. Right. And so if I want to really not let my stuff show up, I got to know where it is. Does that make sense? Yeah, it 100% does. Uh-huh. And, and you're kind of um, making me think about a model that I have for some of the work that I do in the diversity, equity and inclusion mm-hmm. space, which is how, uh, and my primary question that kind of led me to this was how can I be an ally for somebody else? Mm-hmm. 100% mm. without feeling that a little piece of me is being diminished. Right. Mm. Because I think sometimes when we advocate for someone else, there isn't the balance where we're thinking, you know what, I'm a champion for you whilst I'm also a champion for me. Mm. And I know, and I know even when I say this out loud to people, sometimes they're kind of like, they feel triggered because they're like, damn, does that mean that I wasn't an ally a hundred percent before? Yeah. Yeah. And And it's not about that, but it's about just saying, well, just explore it from a number of different angles. So Right. My kind of approach is, you know, be a um, be a advocate for yourself so that mm-hmm. you can be an ally for somebody else. Mm. Have yeah. ambitions that are clear mm-hmm. and everyone has bought into. Right. Right. And then look at how you can amplify, because when you do that, then right. everything amplifies your allyship, who you are, yeah. Yeah. everything. Just does that make sense? It does. It does. And so thinking about the folks that that I train, I get folks who are brand new to this work. And and I have to sometimes remind them. I mean, they're, they're brand new to talking to even having conversations with people who are different than them. And they're and then they're talking about these really private things around sexuality and drug use. And so they may have never had these kind of conversations with another human. And so I have to remind them, I'm like, hey guys, you're on the bunny slopes. <clears throat> you've just all you've done is put on the skis. You've not even been on the snow yet, you know, and to have some love and tenderness and compassion for you as you navigate creating this skill because to show up a hundred percent for yourself and a hundred percent for somebody else is the goal but Mm -hmm. you don't you don't come out of the gate I'm going to tell you some of the most painful lessons and the most profound lessons I've learned as a counselor as a coach and as a trainer is when I stuck my foot in my mouth it's when I messed up, you know what I mean? It's like, oh my gosh, I said that and, or it was heard this way. And you're like, you're just mortified. And, but someone was brave enough to point out, I mean, I had this happen to me around some folks around sexual orientation and some things. And I just really thought I was on it. And I had, you know, this open heart. No, I mean, I was still learning. I'm still learning about diversity and I'm still in, and, and so it's uncomfortable. So, you know, and so my point is, I guess, is that, that it's this constant learning that, okay, I might not be on the bunny slopes anymore. You know, I've got some skills, I've got some insight, I've got some self-awareness, but I still am going to mess up. Mm. And so that going back to your other question, one of, one of my other things I say when I'm training folks is, is that sense of mess up, learn from it, move on. So you, so you, and so you misgender someone, let's say, let's say you use the wrong gender and it lands. What do you do? You apologize and you Mm -hmm. move on. You know what I mean? You, you don't flog yourself. You don't quit. 
Mm. Or you, and you also don't pretend you didn't do it. Mm. <laughs> so, um, so that goes hand, I believe that goes hand in hand. So with what you were saying that my goal is of course, to be a hundred percent present and a hundred percent an ally and an advocate. And I'm not going to hit the mark all the time. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, and I think been, that's a really interesting thing because we, we make mistakes, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, I know for me, because of the work that I'm starting to do, some people think that I'm becoming a leader in the diversity, equity, right. and inclusion space and, and all of these other things. But you know what? I'm a human, right? <laughs> I make mistakes. And the thing is, is that the minute someone puts you on yes. some form of a pedestal, uh-huh. you're just like, why are you doing this? Because mistakes will continue because that's what human beings do. The only thing that I can do to not make a mistake is to die or become a robot. Right. <laughs> yeah. And to be completely quiet. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah. It, it it goes hand in hand and and there's been times that you know that that's pretty scary when you are a leader when you decide to go and step out and to listeners who are like yeah I'm afraid I'm gonna mess up yeah you will mm-hmm. and and so for me I already just assume I'm going to yeah <laughs> So it's kind of like the comedians who already have queued up what they're going to say when they get heckled. They have a few funny lines because it's going to happen. They're going to bomb. So they've already even prepared to bomb. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think as, as, as healers and helpers and coaches and teachers, we already have to prepare for the days that we mess up mm-hmm. and practice both self-compassion and how to, to own it, mm-hmm. learn from it. Uh, and then let it go. And obviously you can probably tell I've had something like this happen not too long ago uh, since we've, since COVID where we were online and, Mm. and on zoom and I had all these little squares on my, on my computer and I'm leading a training with, you know, two inch faces and, and I misgendered. And this is before I learned Mm. to have folks put their pronouns and things, you know, I've learned some skills but, uh, and it would, and, oh, I felt horrible. Mm. And then at the same time I went, okay, I have to own it and then forgive myself mm. and move on. And I think that's a really significant thing because, well, because seeking the forgiveness, apologizing is difficult, but mm-hmm. it's the right thing to do. And, and mm-hmm. if you make a mistake, you've got to do it right. Right. Now, in and I will say in the majority of situations, people will accept your apology or you just need to do a little bit more work and then the right. right. But forgiving yourself, that's on another level. <laughs> it is. It is. And uh, golly, um, that took a little bit of work, but I'll tell you that that you, gosh, it's so key. There's so many folks who are doing some great work around self-compassion and self-forgiveness. And, and all I can say is, you know, um, you sit, you cry, you look at it. I, I did a lot of journaling. I wrote a list of all the things I'd done well. You know, I looked, I read the evaluations of the other folks who were thrilled with what I had done. And, and finally I, I looked at it and I said, when you've done all you can do, you know, then um, the rest is just, is bullying myself. It's just, you know, at some point you just got to go, okay, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And I actually, in that particular situation, maybe it's because I've, <laughs> I've been working on it for so long, I was able to let it go. Um, that doesn't mean I let go of the lesson. Obviously you can, I'm still bringing it up. Um, but going back to what, what I want others to know is that um, it, and I say this to my counselors that I train when they quote, make mistakes in their role plays. I'm like, thank goodness. It's when you make the mistake, the learning really goes in so much deeper than when you hit it. Like I might show up and do a speech or a conversation or a training and people go, yay, it's great. It's great. It's great. And that's all they say. I don't know what I did. That was good. Mm-hmm. Cause people are more generic about that. And I, I'm like, well, that was just sort of, was that luck or was that skill? But when you mess up, 
and either you know it or someone points it out, that's very pinpointed, very precise. And then you can go, ah, I can learn how to not do that again. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, so then as woo-woo as it sounds, then you get to have gratitude, mm-hmm. you know, for that mistake. Because what would have been worse is for me to keep making the same mistake over and over and over and not knowing it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that's Which really doesn't mean good. I'm not doing that, but <laughs> well, I think the thing is is that when when you acknowledge well, when one acknowledges a mistake, then and you share the story as you've done here, actually what you're doing is you're um amplifying the benefit from it mm-hmm. because you learn something and now everyone else can learn something right. too. Right. You know? And in in the work that I do when I'm training coaches, it's really interesting because I sometimes we do um, uh, coaching sessions in groups of three, and so you've mm-hmm. got the coach, the client, and observer, and then me as the trainer. And in those sessions, I always want to listen from what the coach has learned first, then the client, then mm. the observer, and then I share. And sometimes I'll play around with it. But you know, when when the the coach shares, there's always this piece of real vulnerability that they've got to kind of like lean into and step. Mm-hmm. But those are the bits where the real magic is. And without this practicing, I don't think you can really develop a good skill of coaching. And and like you know, same in counseling, healing, therapy. Yeah. There's yep. so many different people that just kind of like do a one day training and come in and say, oh, I'm a coach, you know, yes. <laughs> well, uh, have a conversation about that. No, but, but this depth of nuance that you learn is yes. just where the power is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I, I appreciate that you say that because I, I'm a coach and I, you know, HIV counseling and stuff is one piece of what I do, but the majority of what I do is is coach individuals and 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 I am and I don't like this word but I'm a life coach (laughs) (laughs) I don't know I'm sure lots of us kind of go oh what the heck does that mean but but really understanding first of all that that nuance and appreciating that when I come and I'm listening but I'm listening I'm trying to teach folks to coach themselves Mm. obviously you know to self-coach and then and then helping well you know what we were talking about with the HIV stuff when you're in the role of the professional but even when you're looking at your own life you make mistakes you continue to butt your head against the same wall I call it you keep tripping over the same wrinkle in your life ah envy or ah food or ah you know I keep overspending or I keep ignoring this particular part of my life and and helping folks see the nuance of that, their triggers of that for that, the self-compassion, it's it's all kind of folds in there together. I was just kind of rambling there. Sorry about that. But yeah, it, it's... No, it's all good. Um, so this skill, I think, of... And I, I, you're making me think about this, that there's this, like, there's this toolbox we need of... We need this part of us that there's a big thing for self-compassion. There's a big thing for analysis and looking at what we're doing. And there's a part of us that embraces the magic that we don't always are going to understand what the heck is going on, right? And um, there's there's a part where we have to have, for me, I'll speak for myself, community who will hold up the mirror for me and go, hello, do <laughs> you know, you keep doing this thing over and over. Um uh, so I don't know that this tool belt, this toolbox, I mean, of either those of us in professionally, we need a toolbox. And then I think as individuals to really create an experience in this lifetime that is meaningful, mm-hmm. intentional. I don't know. I um, That's what I've been thinking about. I've been up really early. And thinking today about how do we how do we help people not live by default? You know, how how can we help people be really in the driver's seat of their own life? Mm. 
I just switched gears on you. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, but it's really good. And it's such an important question because, you know, what you're describing is living by default. I would say, how do we help people not settle? Yeah, and, same same intention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the, the first chapter of my book, Results, the Art and Science of Getting It Done, actually really speaks to this. Mm-hmm. You know, in, and I'm speaking as somebody who's settled in so many different things in the past, but all of a sudden one day you wake up and you think, you know what, that's not going to happen again. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know what the trigger is for that, but right. I just know that that when you lean into it and maybe what it is actually let's let's think about this is um when you when stuff starts to happen and you compromise maybe one day you just say you know what i'm not willing to compromise my own integrity anymore mm-hmm. because when i do that and i do stuff because somebody else is telling me that it's right or it's the dumb thing to do then i think you kind of lose a little bit of your soul mhm i agree i you agree know? Yeah. And I, I think that I don't know that we always label it as that in the moment, you know, but but you're right. It starts to chip away and chip away. And um, for me, I have a couple of metaphors with that. I, I talk about this. There's there's this rock in your shoe and that some of us just keep walking and it's irritating and it's irritating and it's ir- and it even hurts some days, you know. And then finally, there's the day that we just sit down and go, ah. I'm going mm-hmm. to take the rock off. And then I joke that I used to take the rock out, file the edges off the rock and put it back in there and keep walking. But then there comes the day when you're like, you know what? I don't want a rock in my shoe anymore. And, and then I think there's this, this awareness. And I don't know about for you. I mean, it's not necessarily easy when you say I'm not going to compromise anymore because you've got to now oh, all of a sudden stand <laughs> up for yourself. I mean, you know what I mean? It's, it's frankly probably easier to, to just keep going by default. It takes mm. so much more energy, but gosh, the payoff of being really in the driver's seat. 100%. And and to continue the shoe analogy, there's mm-hmm. this um, uh, concept in practical theology that I really love, which speaks about when the shoe pinches Mm-hmm. Right. And whenever I unpack that, I'm always thinking, okay, so is it that I'm wearing the wrong socks? Is it the oh. wrong season? Is it the wrong type of shoe? Ah, for what? Yeah, I love that. You can really go all over the place with that one. I love it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. But it's a point of thinking and or, or just thinking and kind of saying, well, hold on, like what's really going on in life? And I think Many of us don't do that and we don't pause to think because we're just so stuck in the mundane day-to-day routine. And so coming back to that thing about having a conversation with no content, like Mm -hmm. those moments are just like little miracles and maybe we need to make more of those. Yes, yes. Um, I'm going to tell you a little something about what's happened in my life recently, if I can. Mm. Um, And I, on, on May 1st, um, me and a bunch of my friends were on the deck of a restaurant on a two-story deck and it collapsed. Oh my God. And we all fell and all of us got hurt. We folks were unconscious, blood, broken bones. So, and my husband ended up having to have surgery on his leg. We're still all in this healing process. So I just, so there was this huge event and I tell you that in that we, I was jolted to all of a sudden go, wow, life is short. You know, life, all, and it sounds sort of dr- overly dramatic, but I'm real serious when I say I'm laying there flat. I just fell 15 feet. I landed on my back. My friends are bloody. And, but we were all okay. You know, we, we mm-hmm. there are injuries, but, and so all of a sudden there was this huge opportunity, kind of like in the movies to recalibrate. Whew. Okay, what is important? And and even for me, I kept hearing the word impact, 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 because I impacted the ground really hard. Oh, my gosh. And so I kept saying, okay, what am I here? What is my impact in this lifetime? What am I supposed to do to have an impact? So then, so, you know, life shows up sometimes to get your attention. This is kind of what you were talking about, right? Mm. Then just... Two weeks ago, my husband had was heart chest pains right after he's gotten off crutches of, of a 12 weeks on crutches. 
And we spent 15 hours in the ER and two days in the, in, you know, the cardiac place. And then I will tell you last night, he had had high blood pressure all night. I didn't sleep at all last night. Oh my gosh. And I only tell you this to say that this, what's really top of mind for me, and I'm just going to trust that, that it's, there's a divineness that you and I are talking on about this today that that when I sat with this at five in the morning, having not slept, I just finally got up and I'm like, okay, as trite or as silly or as Hallmark movie it sounds, nothing is permanent. Life is, there's the randomness, the, the importance to show up, to have non-content conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, my husband and I spent because of those chest pains and things he had, we spent all day on Sunday recalibrating, recalibrating what are our rituals? What's important to us? You know, we had, through COVID, had started eating dinner in front of the television. No, we want to sit at the table and look each other in the eye. And so as, as folks are listening to this, I sometimes life wakes you up. You know, you fall 15 feet or you, you know, you have a narrow miss or you can just hear the story of someone who did and, and take a moment and go, okay, today I'm going to ask myself what's important today. I'm going to, you know, be inspired by Saida's happy accident gift of 30 minutes to be with her husband and go eat a scone with the person I love. You know, and that is a that that's that's the root of my work in the world is to be intentional about how you spend those precious moments, not in a morbid way that they're that they're limited. I don't mean to be morbid, but we don't know, right? We don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and even showing up and asking those bigger, grander questions, this is what I see you do so well and so powerful that you are living your life going, what am I here to do? What is the important, important work for me to do? I'm not going to waste any more time being out of integrity, right? That's what you, I'm, I'm assuming that's what you ask yourself every day. That's certainly what it looks like to me. <laughs> Do you know, I, I, I'll tell you what I ask myself every day in a second, but I wanted to take a moment and say I had no idea that this had happened for you in the last few months. Yeah. And I'm I'm really grateful that you've shared that with us. And I also, like, I appreciate you on levels that I cannot even describe for showing up to this conversation and bringing what you have experienced to it, because I think it, it if... If someone's looking for a sign, it could be this is it. (laughs) And sometimes the experiences that we have are important and significant to us, but actually sharing them with other people makes it significant for them and is the wake-up call for them. So I hope that people who are listening to this are just going to really be paying attention to the messages that they are receiving within Mm -hmm. themselves right now. Yes, absolutely. I've been impacted as, I mean, I read books I, uh, and people share stories. I mean, mm-hmm. my life has been changed by folks who may never know they changed me mm-hmm. because I overheard them tell a story. And so we, that, you know, that whole yeah. thing, pay it forward. I, yeah, yeah, it's so funny because like, I'll tell you what my moment was. <laughs> and, and So I had a, a really like, you know, life-changing car accident in my late twenties. And the way that I describe it is that my car was written off and I was almost written off. Ah. So fast forward six months, like I'm sitting in front of the TV, having put on a huge amount of weight, just like unable to exercise all of this other stuff. And I don't, I can't remember what the American equivalent, Jerry Springer is the American equivalent. Okay. I'm sitting at home watching Jeremy Kyle, putting more chips into my mouth and thinking, (laughs) I just had an insight like this. And it was like, I have not been put on this earth to do this. Right. This is what God wants, then I'm going to challenge it. (laughs) And I'm going to find out if this is really what I'm meant to do. 
Yeah. And I have no idea what instigated that. Like I've often mm-hmm. thought, what episode of Jeremy Carl was I watching that pushed me <laughs> so much? I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, but it was that moment. And I kind of think that that I know that I'm waking up in a very different way now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 10 years of searching for what is the answer, what am I supposed to be working on and all of that other stuff, mm-hmm. I think has led me to where I am now. So number one, you've got to have that clarity. But the question that I kind of, well, the thing that I remind myself of is where I was in that place. Yes. And I know that in 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 the recovery that I've had and in the work that I've been able to do on myself to unpack some of those things, if I hold that stuff within me, I'm being really, really greedy. Yes. And I'm by sharing it with one person, they could be the one that goes ahead and changes the world. Yes. And I'm the vehicle for that. So why am I holding back? Mm -hmm. So when I'm challenging all of these other kind of like assumptions that we're making globally, yeah, I'm the irritating one that's kind of like to some degree, I feel really ashamed sharing this and embarrassed, but (laughs) I kind of am sticking my fingers up at the system a little bit. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it needs to be done because right. it's not working anymore. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. And when you do that, those others who have those same nigglings or those same thoughts get feel braver, you know, can can step into their own way and and that's how it changes. I mean, again, it's it's it sounds so trite, but that's exactly how it works. Right? Mm-hmm. We inspire, we show up. Um for me, I, I'll tend to just keep it quiet. My, you know, I might, and, and not push myself to kind of put my opinion out there. And, and so I'm watching you, for example, I'm like, oh, she can do it. (laughs) I need to just, you know, do it too. And so, you know, I might be saying other things or things in, you know, about slightly different subjects, but we don't know who's watching us. We don't know. We really can't fully appreciate the impact that we have. Yeah, it's funny because I kind of have an idea who who's watching me. And this for me is the really scary thing because mm-hmm. I it's my nieces and nephews. It's mm. my son and my daughter. Yeah. Right? And, and I'm like, see if I mess up and they're watching, then that's the thing that I'm most... Mm. Um, uncomfortable with so yeah doing the work is really important and I'm kind of being flippant when I said about sticking my fingers up and stuff because actually one has to also be respectful as much Mm -hmm. as one can to the infrastructure in the system but that doesn't mean you don't challenge because I know if I don't then all of these people who are watching me within my my own children I'm not giving them permission to do the same as well. And you know, the other side of that is when you give your children permission to challenge, it can be a right pain. I know. But I wouldn't change. Right. You know, they've got to work those muscles. And so they work the muscles in the household and, and you keep your eye on the prize that we want folks who are critical thinkers and challenge and... So, yeah. And I never, you say, it's so funny, right? Because I had to learn what critical thinking meant a few years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I came across this concept and I was like, so I, I, I kind of did a, a course in a little, and I was like, why did I not learn this at school? And then oh, I right. thought, yeah, I, I know why I didn't learn you it. You know school. why. <laughs> <laughs> then I would have challenged the system, but this is what we need. We need mm-hmm. critical thinkers because the problems that we're facing are exactly the same, right? Exactly. Exactly. We need, you know, I, I, I remember being on boards and, and all that. I'm like, okay, we got to make sure we invite the curmudgeon. We've got to invite the hard person that asks the really hard questions. I end up being the person on the board that's always like, but why, but why, you know, and I'm like, I mean, I don't need to necessarily lead it, but you got to have though, you've got to have the, that combination of the, person who's looking for consensus and the person who's challenging the status quo and you but as an individual I mean I got to have all those pieces in here in my own head Mm. you know and um and to and to teach those skills we're not taught we're not taught how to look at things critically and um and question 
Mm. But we have to, we have to. And even going back to what I do with, with my clients, I want them to question, not, not judge necessarily, but when I say, are you happy? Or what you get to, you get to really ask yourself that question without it being in any way, you know, dissing your marriage or cutting down your parents or your parent, you know, your, your, your life, you can look at it critically and do an assessment without, you know, being ungrateful for what you do have. You can do both going, I have this, but I want it to be different. And it doesn't have to be um, that you're somehow a bad, you know, I, I'm, I'm struggling to find the words, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you, you're not doing it to be obstructive. No. Right? You're doing it to try and be better. You yeah. Know? And I think that's the thing, because like, I mean, every now and then I get the kind of criticism, you're a wife, you're a mom, why are you doing these things? And, mm. you know, you get to the point, don't you, where you just think, yeah, okay, here we go again. Yeah. And and I, it's interesting that this is taking me there, but I remember once when I was working and my um, kids were young and I went into a meeting to negotiate like a, a big chunk of a $500 million deal. Right. So I know as crazy as it sounds. Mm. And um, and so we get to the meeting and there's like all of these people like, you know, booted up, suited up. You can just imagine, you know, smelling (laughs) good, looking good, all the right creams, like, you know, phenomenal, (laughs) phenomenal people. And I started off the negotiation by saying, you know, I've already done the hardest negotiation I'm going to be doing today, which is persuade my five-year-old daughter that she has to go to school. Let's go. <laughs> That's awesome. Like y'all, y'all got nothing on her. You got nothing on her. Yeah. And I won that negotiation, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm here. Right. right. <laughs> and you know what was really fascinating about sharing that and kind of approaching it from a human perspective is that the energy in that room really shifted. Mm-hmm. You know, because people came to the conversation because, you know, we all wanted the contract to be done and everyone wants it to be sealed. But at the same time, people retrenched to their positions and they're protecting all of their own stuff. And once the deal is done and it's signed, everyone celebrates. Right. But see, walking to that negotiation is just like walking through concrete. I mean, it's really painful. But when you lighten the mood and you um, bring humor in and Mm -hmm. humanity and all of Mm -hmm. the other things, then people are just able to express what's important to them at their core and life becomes easier. Yeah. You know, um, I'm going going back to one of the, the questions you asked me earlier, going back to what is the things I would distill and is that there's something we all have in common is that we want to be seen and heard. And again, it sounds so simple, but it's not. It's it's life-changing. And so when we can relate on the humanity part, I mean, that was, my guess is that was an authentic share for you. I don't know how intentional it was, but it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. But it also, everybody else had their own version of that, mm-hmm. you know, of like, oh, right. You know, we, we're all doing this every day. It's about compromise or it's about, you know, and um, you reminded everybody that I believe that that you were all going for the same thing, too. Mm-hmm. You wanted to get your daughter to school mm-hmm. and that, you know, you want to have this contract signed. And so, so when we bring that humanity in, um, I don't know, that's, that's probably the greatest lesson I've learned back doing the HIV work, because I was this young, white, middle-class, college-educated, conservatively raised woman going out into neighborhoods that did not match me. I was mm-hmm. talking to folks who, were, who were, had lived a life probably way harder than I will. I mean, definitely harder. They, had, they were doing, having to survive. I didn't, I never had to survive. And, and you could look at that a couple of ways that I was somehow more blessed or better or worse or privileged or put a, put a label on it. 
but I could sit on a street corner literally and have the most delicious conversation with an older man of a different generation about, you know, his, his life, his struggles, his drug use. And what we were, were two humans that were talking, you know, and I remember getting accidentally, I was in the prison and I was telling a man in the nurse's office that he had HIV and, and he was a very big guy, big guy. And he took it, you know, he took it. And then all of a sudden we realized the door was locked and I couldn't get out. So now I'm locked in this room and I look at this guy and I said, so we're locked in together. And I'm like, so what did you do to get in jail or prison? And he said, well, I killed somebody. I'm like, and I just looked at him. I said, are you going to kill me? He goes, nope. I said, then we're good. And we just had this conversation about whatever. I mean, I had, you know, we'd shared this moment and that humanity, that humor, that um, we had far more in common than we had difference, mm-hmm. you know, far more in common. And I love what you said, using all the right creams. <laughs> we <laughs> talked about those people, but you know, it's like, I've walked into those groups that are really intimidating or, or I might be intimidating to someone else. I'm like, no, breathe mm-hmm. in and out, rock in my shoe. We're all, we're all kind of the same, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what's really powerful about what you've just said um, is that uh, it kind of feeds into some of the work that I want to do with the Centre for Belonging and Understanding and the the kind of way that I'm looking to, to mm-hmm. change the language and, and all of these other things. Because I think the entry point in at the moment in terms of how we connect as human is focusing in on where are the differences. Mm-hmm. And for me... What I realize is that when when we focus on what is the similarity, what is the point of connection? Like, actually, I mean, I feel as if I know you very well, but I also feel as if I don't know you at all. And so when you were sharing that you train counselors, I was like, man, why haven't we spoken about that before? (laughs) Because I train coaches. And so for me, that's another point of connection. Mm -hmm. And when you approach relationships from points of connection, it doesn't matter about where you live, who you are, all of the other stuff, because you've got that point that mm-hmm. makes a visceral change within you and mm-hmm. you feel connected to that person, whoever they are, wherever they live and however they show up. And you know what? I, I, I've never said this out loud, but I, I believe that once you've had that connection, you can't get rid of it. Mm. Yeah. I, be, I, I think you're right. Because there are folks, I can all of a sudden my my mind just flashed with all these folks that I've connected with over time, and yeah, that's powerful. That's powerful. Yeah. And you know, when I, I was a speaker for years, that was how I showed up in my work for a long time. And and I, you know, I would be on the stage, and so I didn't meet all the people in the audience but I would share my stories. And so they would have an understanding of me. I did not have an understanding of them because just the the way it was set up, but folks would, would write to me years later about a story. And I I know most speakers have this experience. I know I'm sure you have where you're like, Oh my gosh, really that touched you or you wrote that down on a sticky note and it's still on your refrigerator. I never even met you before, you know, and, and this (laughs) idea, but we were connected And so they were, and it was the story that connected us. It was the, um, some woman said that I had shared about uh, that I never went anywhere without a stain on my shirt, especially when my kids were always puking on me before I got on stage. And I'm like, yeah, you just have a scarf and you just cover the puke and you move on. And they're like, oh my God, you can be on the stage and still have puke on your shirt. Oh my God, I can too. You know, (laughs) yeah, it's like you never know what, but it's the, the, the humanity and we are forever connected in mm. some way I, uh, with those little threads. I feel incredibly connected to you, mm. right? And we've just seen each other on our computer screens yeah. and had, you know, several conversations, but there is a forever connection. That's the mm. magic. It's magic. Mm. You're, you're taking me to share something that people might view as being a little bit hippie, but I'll do it anyway. Go so for I, it. I, I have this idea 
that um, at one point before the earth was created, all of the souls were kind of like somewhere in a, a depository just waiting, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when you meet somebody and you're just like, you feel as if you know them, mm-hmm. um, I kind of think maybe our souls bumped next to each other or just kind of like, you know, something happened and that yep. formed a connection. And then you meet somebody and it's like you're bumping together with them again. And it doesn't matter if you never connect with that person again, but it just happened. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I believe something very similar. I love that idea. We're just bumping around. We're having cosmic coffee and then we meet again some other time. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> What's the better story? We'll just choose that, right? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so I have a, a million questions that I want to ask you and I haven't really covered any of them. So I'm hoping that we're going to do a part two of this. Okay. <laughs> Really, really good. I'm feeling a little guilty that I took us down the wrong road or something. Mm-hmm. No, no, not at all. I think the thing is, is what's beautiful about the way that this podcast is constructed is really kind of, you know, it's what Mo McKenna says, plan tight, hang loose. It's what mm-hmm. I do as a project manager, plan to the nth degree and then just see what comes up. And the stuff that comes up is what is important. So I think everything that we've discussed in this conversation has actually been incredible. Um, mm-hmm. And I would like to kind of unpick some of those other things that that I, I want to know for self Okay. <laughs> okay. What makes you feel inspired? And, you know, what do you do to get unstuck and all of the other? So we'll come back to some of that. And I'd, okay. I also want to... I'd love to know why you got into the work that you do. And I think there's a whole story there that, that you can tell. So I'm saying these things to kind of know or let the, the listeners know that all of this stuff is going to be coming at some okay. point. It's like a little teaser there. A little teaser. <laughs> those are those questions you just prefaced right there. I'm like, yeah, let's talk about those. I'm excited. Let's do yeah, it. Let's absolutely. do it. And and for now, what I'd like to know is what are you kind of reading, listening and watching at the moment? Mm, okay. I am reading um, The Way of Integrity by Martha Beck. Um, I am digging that. Mm. And then I'm also reading, I just have started this book by my dear friend, Mary Beth. Who's Island also been permission. on the podcast. Oh, uh, she's been on it or is coming? She's been on it. And oh, I'm wonderful. Well, I... Yeah dear friend and so permission to be human and so those are those are my two my two reads right now and um yeah we're um I finished all the episodes of the British Baking Show so I'm really looking for something else to binge watch we did, Ted Lasso. We did yeah do what Ted Lasso Ted Lasso yes we have to pay for Apple to get it but I that's I, what I did I'm like I don't care I'm paying just I'm paying Ted Lasso <laughs> Because it's good. It's good. We did re- we did watch the documentary on mushrooms, Fantastic Fungus. I don't know if you've seen that. And it no. was really powerful documentary on the ecosystem of the mushrooms and what they do underneath the ground and and how they are. I, I, I can't even I can't even describe the power of this particular documentary, but I highly recommend it. Talk about it's it could be kind of hippie, but it's also science-based and sort of in line with what we were talking about a few minutes ago about the connection and the significance and and we just went away from it going, we're here while we're here. What do we do that's magical? And we won't always be here, wow. you know, and we move, you know, it's just sort of the circle of life. <laughs> so those are, that's what's been top of mind in our home. You're reminding me of um, Judy Dench's program about trees. I don't know if you've ever seen that. No. I'm going to watch the mushroom one and you watch the tree. I'm going to watch Judy Dench, who I love. So I miss the Judy Dench about trees. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible because the way that it dis- uh, my kind of description and it's no way is good. And again, it's evidence based, but um, she or the program demonstrates that the tree's roots are connected underneath the surface of the earth. Yes. 
that picks up in this in this story of the fungus and that it's actually the microbes of the mushrooms and the spores that help those roots talk to each other. So wow. there's this real connection between this these two documentaries we're talking about. So I'm excited to to follow up with you as you watch the mushrooms and I'll yeah. watch the trees. Pretty yeah. awesome. Maybe we'll use it as our point of entry into the next conversation. Okay. <laughs> Maybe not. We'll have a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <Indeed>. yeah. <laughs> and lastly, what advice advice do you have for me? What advice do I have for you? Gosh, that's loaded. <laughs> I'll tell you what popped up first and is, is self-care. And I, and I don't know you well enough to know where you are on the self-care continuum, but I do know that we can't give what we don't have mm-hmm. and that you are choosing to step up in a really big way which means you also have to simultaneously step up to self-care in an even bigger way that much like the shadow and the sun have to, you know, the dark and the light go in tandem. That would be my piece of advice that as you step up and shine more brightly, that you also pay attention to the, the self-care part, the downtime, the nurturing. How's that? No, I love it. And I, and I, you know, People have said that to me before, but there's just something really special about how you've articulated it. Because I, um, I, you know, we spoke before about how precious I am about sleep, right? Like that's the one thing that I'm not yeah. willing to compromise on. And the way that you've said that is making me think I need to add another thing that I'm not going to compromise on. Mm, good, good. So thank you for that. You're Very welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Sherry, you've been absolutely amazing. And this conversation has Mm. just taken us to some really incredible places. I know that people listening in will want to find out more about you and the work that you're doing. So where can they get in touch? Uh, Great. You can find me at sherryhoneycutt.com. And I spell it C-H-E-R-I-H-O-N-E-Y-C-U-T-T. You won't find anything about the work I do with HIV and AIDS that we mentioned. That's a different website. That's work I do sort of specialized. But you can find out about my coaching. I also have a podcast, which you're going to be on called Design Your Life on Purpose. Um, I, I, um, and I talk about living on purpose, living with intention. And I'm excited to have you as a guest on there. But you can also find me on Facebook. I have a private Facebook group uh, called Designing Your Life on Purpose. And it's uh, so I hang out there and I hang out on the web and I hang out on the podcasting. So that's That's awesome thank Mm -hmm. you so much and I encourage everyone to go and find out a little bit more about Sherry and the work that she's doing because as you now know she's absolutely amazing and I can't wait to be a guest on your podcast Mm -hmm. and also have a a follow-up conversation with you and all of those links are also in the show notes as well so thank you so much Sherry it's been a real gift it's been so fun and such a pleasure I love you If you enjoyed this episode of With Sayada, I'd appreciate it if you could rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people find out about the podcast and the work of the Centre for Belonging and Understanding.